1. You can find your way over there to James chapter number 1. And uh, we'll dive into God's Word here in just a few moments. I've enjoyed our study through the book of James uh, thus far. I I shared with you when we started into the book of James that uh, James is one of my favorite books in the entire Bible to read through, to study through, uh, to be able to learn from. And I'm enjoying learning from it even more as we go verse by verse through the book of James. As we see what God has for us as we do just that. And I hope that you're gaining as much from it as what I am. Um, Something I encourage you to do as you're going through these these things. Make sure you take notes, write things down, and, and uh, just just make your own notes as you're going through it, and, and read ahead, all right? Uh, Only in I, here. I, you're, you're probably, not, uh, maybe, maybe you're starting to catch on at this point, but today we're going to be in verses 13 through 16. Next week, okay, this, I'm, this might be a stretch for some of you, but next week we're going to be in verse number 17, okay, the very next verse right after that, okay? That means you can read ahead, you can study for yourself, and, and listen, I, I hope you understand this. The Holy Spirit can speak to your heart when you're reading for yourself, just like He'll speak to you whenever somebody's preaching the Word of God to you. And so I hope that you'll take time to study the Word of God for yourself and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you in a personal way and, uh, and, and just continue to grow each and every day as you read through the Word of God. I'm enjoying so much the book of James, and I know that if you dive into it personally yourself, you'll get even more out of it uh, as we go through it and uh, see what the Lord has. And it's always cool whenever uh, you, you study the scriptures for yourself and then you come on on Sunday and uh, you get to hear a message preached and you're sitting there going, man, that's, that's exactly what, uh, what I got this week. Or sometimes you may sit in there and go, man, he has no idea what he's talking about, okay? And, uh, but that's okay. Either way, uh, it's sure a blessing to be able to dive into the Word of God and allow the Word of, the word of the Lord to speak to your heart personally. Well, hey, James chapter number one, we're going to look at just a few verses this morning. We're going to begin in verse number 13. Let's read it, and then uh, we'll, uh, we'll pray together after we read and ask for the Lord to help us as we dive into the scriptures. Verse number 13, the Bible says this, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away in his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brother. Let's pray together. We're going to dive into the Word of God together this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to give us to be able to open the Scriptures this morning, to be able to learn from your Word. I pray, God, today that each and every person that's here that you would speak to their hearts, that you'd minister to their hearts from your word. I pray, Lord, that today that, Lord, that you would be the hero of the service, the hero of the message, the hero of the the Bible study that we do this morning. Lord, I pray this morning they wouldn't just see some some guy up here just just speaking, but, God, that they would would hear from you. Lord, I just pray for each person that's here that, uh, Lord, if there's somebody here that doesn't know you as their Savior in a crowd of this size, Lord, I can't help but wonder if there'll be somebody here that doesn't know for sure they're going to spend eternity in heaven. Maybe they've been playing a game for many years, but they've never gotten it settled. Maybe they're a regular tender here at the church. Maybe this is their first time. But God, I believe that in a crowd of this size, there could be someone here that just doesn't have that settled. I pray today that they would walk out of this room knowing for sure that they're going to spend eternity in heaven. Pray God your word would have the power to convict this morning, to move in hearts. I pray, Lord, there'd be some that maybe are holding on to something that uh, they need to let go of. And God, I just pray that you would convict as only you can. We pray this in your son, Jesus Christ, precious name. Amen. Amen. Tressa is, uh, is an incredible, thriving, and traveling companion. 
Obviously, she's my wife, and so I enjoy driving places with her. But something I learned early on, and she's gotten better with it through the years, but whenever we first got married and we would drive, there was something about that passenger seat of the car. It's, it's more comfortable than any bed, clearly, because we would get in there, and if any time we were taking a road trip somewhere, going someplace, immediately, it didn't take long at all, that she would be, she'd fall asleep. I mean, just, I mean, just out of it. It didn't matter. Sun could be shining. It could be dark at night. She'd fall right to sleep. But uh, this is, uh, maybe some of you have experienced this before. There have been many times that we've been driving down the road. Oftentimes it's at night. Sometimes you, you go on a trip or something like that and you're pulling an all, you know, a, a late night drive or something like that. And you're a little tired and things like that. Maybe before you got in the car, you, you wipe the sleep from your eyes and things and, and you climb in there and you start driving down the road. And it's one of those weird situations where the kids are, are asleep in the back, right? And everything's quiet. And, and Tress is, of course, asleep on the, and the passenger seat. And as I'm driving down the road, I make a mistake. Now, man, you understand what I'm talking about here, okay? You make this mistake where suddenly you just, you just ever so slightly veer off of the very center of the road. And your tires hit that little sign. The rumble strip, right? You know? It's like a bomb goes off, right? You know? Immediately, Tressa awakens from her sleep. She reaches over. She grabs me. Are you awake? Is everything okay? And it's... I have a heart attack, not from the rumble strip, but from the explosion that comes from the passenger seat, okay? As she explodes up and, and reaches over and grabs oh, are you awake? And I'm like, I'm fine. Everything's fine. I just, I'm so sorry. I just went a little off to the side, you know? I mean, come on. Uh, you know, everything's okay. And uh, none of the men, any of the men in here, have you experienced this? I'm the only one? Okay, great. All right. Bunch of liars. Anyway, uh, but uh, I mean, this is, uh, I, I mean, you probably experienced it. What, what's the rumble strip for? The rumble strip is there to tell you that you're getting a little outside the lines, right? You know, I mean, it's to prevent you from, from what? From destruction. Whether you go too far to the right and you hit the guardrail or you go into the ditch or you go too far to the left and, and you go into oncoming traffic, the, the, the rumble strip that, that's there, what? To stop you from going too far off the path that you're supposed to be on. Too far off the road. As we've spent the first 12 verses diving into the book of James, we, we've discussed very in-depth Uh, this matter of trials, difficulties, the things that that Christians oftentimes would go through that would strive to to get them off track. As James wrote to these first century Christians, he was encouraging them that in the midst of various trials, various temptations, he says, that that they would face, that they could find contentment in, in Christ and He finished verse number 12 by reminding them of the greatest motivator of all, the thing that would help them to stay on track, even in the midst of of the trials, the difficulties that he faced. We we finished, we talked about it last week, that great motivator called love. Was there love for him that, that would result with them one day standing before their Savior and hearing those precious words, well done, well done. But now as we come to verse number 13, James kind of, he dives into a little bit different subject. It's not, it's, it's not completely disconnected. In fact, it's, it is very much connected, but, but it's a little bit different, uh, a different, different avenue that, that he takes here. And, and, and he talks about this. It's something else that he says, okay, it, it could be that trials, uh, young Christian, he writes to those first century Christians, young Christian, it could be the trials that get you off track. But he says there's something else that for many of you, is going to be a struggle, something that's going to attempt to steal your attention, something that's going to steal, try to get you off track from your relationship and your commitment to the Lord. But it wasn't, it wasn't suffering this time. No, it was 
It was sin. James actually finishes this passage. We just saw the verse in verse number 16 where he just gives them this simple challenge. And once again, wraps his arm around him like he does so many times throughout this, the, the book of James. And he says, Don't, do not err, my, my beloved brethren. That, that word err literally means to wander, to swerve. He warns them, don't, don't, don't get off track. Don't swerve off track. Don't don't get off the path. The thing that was causing some of these young believers to swerve off track was sin in their life. This morning, what, what if you could see the potential of your sin? You see, I, I heard someone say one time that, that the correct perspective, many times for many of us, the correct perspective of sin is not how we view it in our own life, but how we would view it in the life of someone else, right? We're really good at excusing sin in our own life, and oh, it's not that big of a deal. But if somebody else were doing it, we'd be quick to point it out, right? That's, that's oftentimes the way that we function. That's often the way that we work. But understand this, God doesn't want us to see little sin. He wants us to see the, the potential. You see, no, no one wakes up one day in bed with someone that isn't their spouse. Says, how did I get here? No one finds themselves with a DUI or off on the side of the road after a car accident because they drank alcohol. No, no one just ends up in a courtroom after taking someone's life. And says, how did this happen? But everyone that arrives in those places asks that question, how did I get here? What, 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 to, how, how did this, I mean, I, mean, I wasn't, I, I... see God doesn't want you to see your sin as little. He wants you to see your little sin in our eyes as potential. That's what James is addressing in these verses that we have before us. As we start out here in verses 13 and 14, he begins by pointing to the origin of, of temptation. Look again at verse number 13. The Bible says it there. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. There there were clearly some in James' day who were attributing their battle with sin to being ordained by God. Clearly, God must have, have put... This opportunity for sin in my life, they, they might have thought. And James is quick to refute this. He says, no, 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 it's not. It's not. Sin is not of God. God, God in His very nature, as we've learned about over in Sunday school in our small group, it, God's very nature uh, it means that he, he can have nothing to do with sin. One of the things that we learned about is that God is perfectly holy. Well, I, I loved learning this, that in Isaiah chapter number 6, the, the Bible tells us in verse number 3 that the, the seraphim that were there with Him, that they cried one to another and they cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. God's perfectly holy. And some 26, 24, 2600 years later in Revelation, you have the story in Revelation chapter number 4, verse number 8, where the Bible says, And the four, uh, four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night. And what were they doing? Saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come for over 2600 years. The angels had been crying out and declaring the holiness of God. And since that day, when John, by inspiration of God, penned those words in the book of Revelation some 2,000 years more, the continual cry has been the same. 
holy, holy, holy. God is perfect. Absolutely perfect. There's no flaw. There's no spot. There, there's no, no, no wrong in Him. He's perfect. And because of His perfection, He cannot entertain sin in His presence. Nor can He have anything to do with sin. So how foolish it would be to attribute a sin that we would battle as being orchestrated by God. Yes, at times He may test us through trials, but never through temptation to sin. So just to be abundantly clear, James points to the real origin of our sin in verse number 14. Verse number 13, he says, listen, it's not of God. How, uh, that, that God can't have anything to do with sin. That's not what it is in verse number 13. In verse number 14, he makes it very clear. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. There's a couple key things that we need to, to understand here. The Bible is clear that, that this is a battle for every man. For every person, everyone struggles with this. There's no one who escapes the battle of sin. Romans chapter number 5 verse number 12 tells us, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men for that all have sin. The Bible is, is, is clear warning that every person, every person is going to battle with sin. And anyone who thinks that they have overcome it and they, they've achieved some level of, of not struggling with it anymore, he gives a caution to them in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. Wherefore, let him that stand and take heed, lest ye fall. Yeah. See, until your dying breath, James says every man is going to deal with this battle in your life, every woman, every child, you are going to deal with this battle of sin in your life. But then he takes it another step as he finally gets to the real heart of who it is to blame for our sin. Verse number 14. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. There's been many times in my life that I've made the statement that I, I hate the devil. Maybe you've said that before in your life. I hate the devil. And listen, I do. I, I hate the devil. Um, in fact, when I was growing up, I've shared before, my mom used to tell us, listen, you can't say that you hate uh, anything. Hate such a strong word. So There's only a couple things we're allowed to hate, and one of those things that we were allowed to hate was, was the devil. I mean, that was, that was one of the, the things that we were allowed to hate. Now, I've told you before, and, and for those of you, we got a lot of guests here, so some of you don't know this, but I hate something else today, and, and our church understands I hate olives, okay? They're the most disgusting thing in the whole world, and just as a reminder, amen, yes, all right, good, there's a few saved people in the crowd, all right, amen, but listen, hey, I, I hate olives, they're just, they're the most disgusting things in the entire world, uh, every one of them, green, black, doesn't matter if they have a pit or not, I, I hate everything about them, the only thing that's good about olives is you can make it into uh, so, 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 some, you know, this, this oil that you fry things in, okay, that's the only thing that it's good for, all right, I, I hate everything to do with olives, but listen, I hate the devil, there have been a few times in my life where where things have happened, where I pointed to, and man, just one of those moments where really you just, man, I hate the devil. Remember when I got the phone call, it was a Sunday morning, I was right over here in the, the, the side classroom, I answered the call, and, and I'd only been in ministry for about six months here at the church, and my mom called just weeping, and, and uh, I answered it, and I picked up the phone, and, and she said, Kyle, she said, it's terrible, she said, Today, pastor stepped down, the pastor of the church that I grew up in. My pastor stepped down from the church because he'd been found in immorality. You know, on that day, I, I don't remember a lot that I said, but I'm pretty sure I whispered those words, said those words. Man, I hate the devil. 
I can remember the day that I found out that my best friend growing up, that, I mean, I'd been to his house so many times, spent many days with, with his family. When I found out that his dad had ran off with some other lady, left his family completely behind. I remember thinking, man, I hate the devil. I, I hate, I hate the devil. In, in 11 years of, of ministry, I've seen friends that, that were once serving faithfully alongside various aspects of ministry that, that aren't there anymore. Why? Because they fell into sin. Look and say, man, I, I just I hate the devil. And the truth is, there's been times in my own life, probably you as well, where you've struggled, battled with sin. Caught yourself, man, I just, I hate the devil. I hate him, and I, and I do. I hate the devil with, with all my heart. But the truth is, it's kind of like we're back in the Garden of Eden. Remember what happened? The devil disguised himself as the serpent, came to Eve there in the garden. The serpent's more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God made. He said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And Eve didn't know the scripture. She looked at him, oh yeah, we're not supposed to eat of it, we're not supposed to touch it. And the serpent, verse number four, said to the woman, you shall not surely die. For God doth know in the day that you eat thereof, when you're, that your eyes will be open. You shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. You know what the devil does sometimes? He takes something that's really bad and he, he flowers it up and dresses it up and makes it look good. Was what he said there true? Well, yeah, kind of, to an extent. Were their eyes open? Did they know good and evil? Absolutely. Was it a good thing? No. <laughs> when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat, and the eyes of them both were opened. They knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. God comes looking for them in the garden. They hid themselves. And finally, whenever they come out, verse number 11, the Lord says to them, Who, who told you? Who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? Listen, listen to what, what Adam said. And the man said, listen to who he blames first. The woman that thou gavest to me with me. Now listen, a lot of times we say he pointed to Eve, but that wasn't the first person he pointed to. You know what he pointed to first? The woman that you gave to me, it's your fault. Some of the men in this room, you've been in that place before. where you, God, it's the woman you gave to me. She, oh boy, that was the wrong place to amen, John. Oh man. She gave me the tree and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What hast thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me and I did eat. See, Adam blamed God, and then he blamed Eve, and then Eve blamed the devil, but we all know whose fault it was that Eve ate of that fruit. It was Eve's fault. Right. Amen. You know whose fault it was that Adam ate of that fruit? Listen, it wasn't Eve and it wasn't God. Yeah, that's right. It was Adam's fault. The Bible says here, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. 
That, that word enticed means to be baited or to be lured. To be lured. Uh, there in Indiana, we growing up, I, my best friend, I was mentioning earlier, we, we went fishing often. And uh, that was one of our favorite things that, that we did. In fact, my senior year of high school, we, that summer, we, we went fishing all the time. I mean, like almost all the time. I've shared before, whenever we first started fishing, he had a little 16-foot John boat that he pulled with his F-150, 1990 F-150. We'd pull in and we'd fish two tournaments a week. Uh, we'd pull into there, and, and here's all these people that would pull up. All these other guys, you know, they're older older guys, and they had their nice boats. I remember pulling up, and, and, and there's guys that had these Skeeter bass boats. I mean, they're 70, 80, $100,000 bass boats, Ranger bass boat over here. And I mean, you're looking at them like, man, those are, those are nice and sparkling. Here we were with our little 16-foot John boat, you know, and a little 25-horsepower Johnson motor on the back, and we dropped down in the water, and those guys would laugh at us. And we, we'd get out there, and, and uh, you know, the, the way you'd get it, you'd stay inside the buoys, and everybody's engines, you know, charge, and ours is like, you know, it's just like, and, uh, and they would call your number, depending on when you got there, one, you know, they'd take off, two, and, and finally, they'd, they'd call ours, and, you know, we kind of take off out of there, and, and I mean, people just fly by us. There were a few times that we'd get to our spot, and we'd, we'd get in there, and we'd sit down, and some of those guys, they just... They just, weren't very, they just weren't real nice. And uh, we'd, we'd be sitting in our spot there in our little John boat, and they'd come over, and they'd swamp it. What they'd do is they'd come over, and they'd, get, they'd come at us real quick, and then they'd turn their boat at the last second, and water would just about go over into our boat. We almost sink our boat. It was unbelievable. I mean, they'd make fun of us, and then the tournament, the, the, the end of the night would come, and we'd get back to the, uh, to the, uh, to the dock there, and, and everybody pull out their catch, and there were many a time that we'd pull out our fish and laugh at the other guys that we beat, you know, and uh, oh, it was a good feeling, you know, but, but what we learned was it doesn't matter what your boat looked like, what mattered was the bait that you used, right? Now, you weren't allowed to catch worms. Everybody here knows that worms is the best thing that you can use to catch a fish on. But we weren't allowed to use worms. We had to use different lures and different baits and things like that. And, and you'd go through in different times of the year. There were certain things that, that they would, they, the fish would go after. And we, we, we would use this one bait. I almost brought one with me. It's called a, a brush hog. It's about, about that long. It had little, little arms on the side and little flaps on the bottom. And listen, if I held it out to you today, not a one of you would say, mm, that looks tasty. Okay, I mean, like nobody would. If you did, we'd have to have you checked out. Okay, I mean, but I mean, that's what we would do. We'd have the, that bait, and we take it, and we cast out. And, and listen, here's what we learned. Sometimes you, you'd get out there, and you'd be fishing, and and you'd cast in the same spot. Just, I mean, over and over again, because it was just like you just knew that there had to be a fish sitting there. I mean, you'd cast it, and you'd cast it, and you'd cast it. Sometimes the, the hardest type of fishing is sea fishing. I'm not talking about out in the ocean. I'm talking about the, the fishing where you see the fish and you're trying to get it to bite, okay? I mean, I can remember. I mean, you, maybe you'd see it there and you just, you cast and you reel it in and you cast and you reel it in and you cast and you reel it in. And, and then finally, all of a sudden there's that cast you throw in there and that fish would come out. Grab onto that bait. Oh man, you set that hook. You reel it in. You, you caught. What were we doing? We, we were luring that fish. We are enticing it. In fact, we'd do it so much, we'd put it right in front of that fish so much that finally the fish just couldn't handle it anymore. It was like, ah, uh, maybe it was annoyed, I don't know. But finally it just, all right, and it just, it would grab it and then set the hook. Got it. You know, that's the, that's the thought here. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. You know, we like to blame the devil 
when we find ourselves in sin. Because it makes us feel a lot better about ourselves when we can blame somebody else. Yeah. But the truth is, we often give him more credit than he deserves. Right. The devil's not omnipresent like the Lord is. He can only be in one place at a time. And although some of you are very important, I know some of you have really good jobs and, 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 and you're, you, know, you're, you have really a, a high status and things like that, maybe in the community, um, there probably is more important people on this earth that the devil's going after than what you are, okay? But uh, I'm just saying. So, so the chance of the actual literal devil coming after you personally is probably pretty slim. And a lot of times when we fall into sin or we struggle with sin, sometimes we'll look and say, well, I just, man, the devil made me do it. When the truth is, it's our own sinful heart. James 17.9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You see, if you just follow your heart, there's a good possibility you're going to end up in the ditch somewhere. In a world of hurt. I heard someone say this last week. I thought it was so good that that every sin, every battle with sin is an inside job. Mm. Think about that. Mm. It all starts here. It all starts here. Every sin starts with a thought. While you cannot stop a thought from entering your mind, you can stop yourself from dwelling on it. That's where James turns the page to his next thought. From the origin of temptation, he points to the path of destruction. He, he finishes verse number 14 by saying that, that every man is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. For, for these young believers looking for victory over temptation, James lays the, the groundwork for those can, that continue down the path of temptation, where exactly they will end up. You see, when we think of lust, everyone in this room, I'm sure, immediately jumps to immoral sexual sin. That's just where our minds go when we think of lust. But the truth is, the, the thought of lust in verse number 14, it literally means to desire or to crave. You see, the truth is some lust for food, <laughs> and it leads to gluttony. Some, some lust for information, so they say, but really it's, it's just a desire to gossip. Some lust for acceptance, and it becomes pride. Some, some lust for justice, but really it's just bitterness. Right. Some lust for everything to be the way they want, and it just becomes worry and fear. And for others, yes, it is a sensual thing. See, not everyone struggles with the same thing. We all have besetting sin. That's why the Bible says here that everyone, every man's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. You understand there's certain things that, that I may struggle with in my life that you don't struggle with. And there's certain things that maybe you struggle with in your life that, that, that I don't struggle with. Listen, I drive by, by the, the Rocky Mountain Bank just about every day. I mean, I go right by it every single day. The thought has not crossed my mind. You know, I think today, I think today's the day, you know. I think we're going in. There. I got a mask right over here. I'm just going to slip it on. They'll never know it's me. You know, there's like a thousand people in Whitehall, but they'll never narrow it down. You know, that's just... 
It, it, the temptation just isn't there. I mean, it's just, it's not, there's other ways of getting money, but that's not one of them, okay? I mean, that's just, it's the temptation, but, but maybe, maybe, probably not, but maybe there's somebody in this room that you've driven by and thought, man, that would be an easy one to knock off. I mean, I mean maybe that's what you're, you thought. Listen, what, what am I saying? I, that sounds foolish, it sounds silly, but what, what, what's the point? The point is this, just because I struggle with something doesn't mean you struggle with it, but listen, there may be something you struggle with that I don't, but every man is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Like that bait before the fish, if you allow it, it, it will be cast before your eyes over and over and over and over and over and over again. You see, you can choose to swim away, or you can choose to sit there and just be tempted and tempted. And enticed and lured. Then verse number 15 tells us what happens when the enticement becomes too much. The Bible says your lust conceives. It literally means that it's, it's seized, it's captivated. It's when the, the hook is set. When that hook is set, it's too late. When the hook is set, you always find yourself in sin. And the Bible tells us when sin is finished, it always brings forth death. Many times, sometimes physically, but listen, every time, spiritually. You say, Kyle, do you mean I can lose my salvation? No, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. Listen, friend, I want you to understand this today. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, then you've got a big problem. You're on your way to a lake of fire for all of eternity. A place created for the devil and his angels. I've heard people say, we talked about it the other day. There's some people that say, man, I just can't wait till, till I get to hell and I can party with my friends. Hey, listen, friend, do you understand the devil doesn't want to be in hell? Yeah, right. It's a place of torment. You've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You've got a sin problem. And the only way that you can deal with your sin, the Bible tells us that the wage of our sin is death. You have to die. Revelation tells us there's a second death. It's an eternity in a lake of fire. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never dealt with your sin. Listen, friend, you are going to die physically one day and you are going to die spiritually. It's been eternity in a lake of fire. That ain't good news. But here is the good news. Someone died for you. Amen. Jesus Christ came to this earth. He died on the cross for you. He paid that payment of death for your sin. He offers the gift of eternal life. How do you accept it? The Bible tells us that if we believe in our heart, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ, you are Lord, and you're the only way. Listen, you're not trusting in going to church. You're not trusting in going and getting baptized. You're not trusting in putting money in the offering place. You're not trusting in being a good person. You're not trusting in, and listen, my family has always been a Baptist or a Catholic or a Mormon or whatever. Listen, it's not, it doesn't matter what anybody else says. The Bible tells us every single person is going to stand before God one day and give an account of themselves. And the question is this, why should I let you in? And if you look at him and say anything other than Jesus Christ and I accepted his payment for my life. If your name is not found in that book that he has there, the Lamb's book of life. Listen, friend, the Bible tells us he's going to look at you and he's going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me to everlasting fire. If you don't know Jesus Christ is your Savior, well, listen, right where you sit today, and ask Jesus Christ to forgive you for your sins. And put your faith and trust in the payment that he made for you by dying on that cross. Him and him alone have eternity in heaven. 
Listen, friend, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, it doesn't mean you're out of the woods yet. (laughs) I wish it did. I wish that that we could just wake up and and everything would be all hunky-dory after you get saved and you never battled with sin anymore. But that's that's not what it is. And listen, the the truth is, is for many of us, you will find yourself in, in sin. And it will result in spiritual death every time. Your relationship with God will be broken. The psalmist said in Psalm 66, verse number 18, If I regard iniquity, sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Remember what we said earlier about God's holiness? He cannot, uh, he cannot entertain the presence of sin. If we have sin in our life, He cannot hear our voice. See, it was a time when the kings were supposed to go to battle. But the Bible says that David tarried still at Jerusalem. He was tired. Maybe he just needed some time off. We, we don't know exactly, but he said, you know, I just need a break. It was the middle of the night when David arose from his bed and went for a walk on his roof. And while he was walking on his roof, he looked, and, and the Bible tells us that he saw a woman bathing himself. Now listen, at first we say, man, oh, I can't believe he did that. It wasn't an uncommon practice in that day. I mean, that was the highest point in the in a house, and so oftentimes that was what would happen. People would go to the roof to, to bathe themselves. It wasn't unusual. The Bible tells us that David saw her, and in that moment he had the opportunity to make a choice. Like that fish, the, the lure was put in front of him. He had the choice. He could turn away. Oh, went back to his bed, laid back down, said, man, I, I, shouldn't have, I, I need to get to battle. But instead he stood there. And the Bible says that she was beautiful to look upon. David chose option number two. The Bible tells us in 2 Samuel 11, David sat and inquired after the woman. And one said, is not that Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David, you know who that is. That, that's Uriah's wife. He's one of your mighty men. Another opportunity for, for David to, oh, I shouldn't be up here. I need, I need to get out of here. But David sent messengers and took her. She came unto him, lay with her. for She was purified of uncleanness and she returned into her, her house. You know, we know where the story leads from there in Second. Samuel 11, it's exactly what the Bible says. Lust conceived, and it brought forth sin. And sin, when it was finished, brought forth death. Can you imagine, I mean, David, a man after God's own heart, a man that followed after God, a man that didn't know what defeat was until this moment. And after he had had Uriah killed... He's sitting there on that day whenever Nathan the prophet came and said, Thou art the man. Can you imagine? I kind of think he was sitting there going, How did I get here? Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. It resulted in the death of Uriah. Resulted in the death of he and Bathsheba's baby. Sin always has consequences. 
My grandpa, for years, smoked and drank alcohol. This is what it is. It's what it, he didn't know any better. For years, he did. And, and it was just a part of his life. But one day, he decided that he wasn't going to be controlled by a substance anymore. And, and he gave it up. Cold turkey. I mean, there's people that, that are able to do that. I know, there, I know there's many people that, that I've met that said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give up smoking. I'm going to give up drinking. And it's a battle. It's a struggle. He was one that said, you know, one day he said, I'm just, I'm done with it. He just gave it up. Cold turkey. Years passed by. And one day he, he started <clears throat> having a little problem swallowing, talking. And he noticed there was kind of a little lump. He went to the doctor. And he found out that he had cancer in his, in his throat, in his voice box. I remember after the surgery when my, my grandpa came home and they'd removed his voice box. He, he'd never be able to talk again, like, you know, with a normal voice. They, they had a little box in there. He, had a, he actually had a little machine that he would hold up there and had a hole in his throat where he would talk. And uh, you, you could hear him sounding like a, like a robot. You know, I mean, like that's what it was. I, I was just a teenager when it happened, but... I remember that very vividly. It was a few months later. He just started not feeling well and noticed a few lumps here and there. And he went back into the doctor's office. And they confirmed the worst, that the cancer had moved into his lymph nodes, spread through his whole body, and there was nothing they could do. You know, I can still remember just a short time later as we were gathered around his bed. I remember all the family in there, my, my grandma, my parents, some of my cousins, my aunts and uncles in that room. And as a teenager, seeing my grandpa laying there in that bed and us telling him, you, it's okay, you can, you can let go. I, I remember he, he was in so much pain from the cancer through his body that he would get a morphine drip that, that would go into his body every 15 minutes. As he got closer to that 15 minutes for the next one, it, the pain would come and wave so strong that he would sit up in his bed. And I remember his eyes would open and he would shake. And then that morphine drip would go and he'd fall back and go limp. About 13 minutes later, he'd sit up in that bed. Oh, he would shake. His eyes would open. and I mean, just the pain was overwhelming. And then finally, the morphine drip would go through his body again and he, he'd relax. And that went on for days until finally he passed on to eternity. You know, the cancer that he died from was a cancer that you could only get from a combination of smoking and drinking. Something he'd given up years before. Mm -hmm. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished... Bringeth forth death. Proverbs 14, 14, 12 says, There's a way which seemeth right unto a man. Oh, it's not a big deal. Just a little sin, it's just a little this. Uh, you say it's wrong. What's right, what's right, right for you may not be right for you, me, and what's wrong for you may not be wrong for me. There's some things that the Bible are very clear on. There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You know, I think about these verses in Proverbs so often when I think about my grandpa. The Bible says this in Proverbs 23, verses 31 and 32. Look not thou on the wine when it is red, when it giveth color, and the cup when it moveth itself aright. Why? Because at the last, it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. 
You know, the Bible said it all along. They're in, they're of, are the ways of death. Friend, this morning, don't look at your sin as little, but see its potential. John 10, 10 says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. So what do we do? What do we do with, with, with this sin? What do we do with this, this battle? What do we do with the temptation? What do we do? Well, the answer, we looked at it at the very beginning. It's found there in verse number 16. It's very simple. Do not err, my beloved brother. Don't, don't get off track. Don't, don't even start down, down this road. Don't, don't, be careful. Hey, there's lines there. There's a rumble strip there. Hey, you've got to be careful because, listen, if you don't, if you don't focus, you don't get back, you're going to go off into the ditch. Your, your life is going to become a mess. It's going to be a wreck. Hey, be careful where you're going. Hey, listen, see the life example of Joseph. There he was in Potiphar's house, and, and, and Potiphar's wife came to him, daily tempted him, and the day came where she came, and she grabbed his jacket, and the Bible said, that he got himself out. He got out of there. He ran. He fled. He left it all behind. He just got himself out of there. Listen, Joseph ran from sin. And when sin comes knocking on our heart's door, it's exactly what we should do. Don't even err. Don't even start to swerve. Hey, stay focused on the path that is in front of you. You say, Kyle, I didn't know about some of these things. Kyle, I didn't know, I didn't know what, the, what the Bible said. I didn't know about, about this. Listen, what do you do now? Don't err. Don't err. Don't play with sin. It'll cost you everything. As long as you're on this earth, temptation will come. You can't stop it. But you can control how you respond when temptation does come. Just because the bait is cast in front of you doesn't mean you have to stick around. You can swim away. Heed the caution of James that he gives to these believers. Don't swerve. Don't err. Keep your eyes focused on the one who gave himself for your sins. And focus on the blessings that he has given you. Let today's message be a rumble strip that gets you back to where you should be. Maybe today you find yourself right where, where David was. Maybe it's not, not adultery, but, but maybe it's, it's whatever you, you fill in the blank, sin in your life. And you're neck deep, and oh, I don't know how to get out of this. What am I, what am I supposed to do now? I, I don't even know. Would you follow the example of David in Psalms? If we finish, listen to what he said in Psalm 51. We, we actually saw the first verse earlier in the message. Have mercy upon me, O God, David prayed. According to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgression, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression. My sin is ever before me. Against thee and against thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thine sight. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shaped in iniquity and sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. In the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with this. 
I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear the joy of, 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 of gladness and that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sin. Blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. In a few weeks, we're going to have a revival meeting. But your revival can start right here. Amen. This morning. As you say, search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. And when God points the finger on that spot, you have a choice. Am I going to stay here and be enticed? Be Lord. Be tempted. Or am I going to flee from that temptation? God, you know I battled with this. You know I'm struggling, but God, I'm asking you, would you cleanse me? Would you forgive me? Would you help me? I want to be right with you. Every man is tempted. There's not a person in this room. This, this message is all-inclusive. <laughs> Everyone. And they're drawn away of their own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. Sin, when it's finished, it ends in death. Friend, don't even err. Don't even start to get off track. No, no, get back on track. And James wraps his arm around him and says, Oh, my beloved brother. Oh, I hope you're listening. I'm trying to save your life. Because if you don't get off track because of trials, listen. The devil's going to try to get you off track because of temptation. Don't get off track. Let's have heads bowed and eyes closed today. It's a simple message, simple truth. Oh, but I don't know if there's a more important one as we prepare for a revival meeting. I don't know if there's a more important one for the life of the Christian than to be able to have a completely and truly clean heart before God. Friend, today you can call on the Lord and walk out of here in the cleanliness, the cleanness of confession. If we confess, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This morning you sit in your seat, would you pray and just say, Lord, is there anything in my life that isn't what it ought to be? Is there something between me and you? You know, there's some in this room that we didn't, you don't even have to pray that prayer. You just know right away. Yeah, that's not right. It's very clear. And you have a choice. You can continue walking in your ways. Or you can heed the scriptures. Say, Kyle, I, I, don't, like, I don't like what you had to say today. Listen, friend, I, I'm sorry you don't like what I have to say, but I tried to give you just what the Bible says. I don't want you to disagree with me. I want you to disagree with God's word. At the end of the day, when you pillow your head tonight, I don't want it to be at odds between me and you. I, listen, it's going to be at odds between you and the Lord. Maybe say, I need to study it for myself. Hey, that's, that's good. I hope that you will, will. But I hope this morning that you'll come and at least say, God, give me a tender heart.
to respond to your conviction. With heads bowed and with eyes closed, let's stand together. We're going to have a time of invitation. Maybe you need to make your seat an altar. You can come forward to this, this altar up here, but let's stand together. Father, bless now this time of invitation. Work in hearts as only you can. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As the music plays, let's have